All right. Did Jesus really say that? Sermon on the Mount, kind of catching back up. Last week we had a break on Thanksgiving, um, which was kind of cool. But I want to jump into chapter 6 today because there's some juicy stuff there. But before we do that, um, I want to read this thought that I I wrote last week. Um, Pray not for just one of the countries at war. Pray for peace for all countries. They are filled with God's created children. All are loved by God. All are valued by the Trinity. There are not sides, no favorites. If you think there is a good side and a bad side, your view is too narrow. Step back and see we are all children of God. There is no us versus them. And again, like Jesse was alluding to, this can get politically hot. It doesn't need to. If there's something we're learning here at Hope Fellowship is love is the foundation. God is love. That's the foundation of how we treat and accept people, no matter where they're at in life. If we mess that up, we switch into judgment immediately. Um, If any of you know who uh, Kenneth Tanner is, um, he wrote a prayer. um, I'm connected to the uh, Open Table Conference group, and uh, he speaks often in that. If you haven't heard of that, uh, I'll explain later. Um, But that's a connection with Paul Young, Brad Jerzak, Brian Zahn, a whole bunch of folks that uh, get together and talk through books of the Bible and stuff. They did Revelation. Right now they're doing the whole book of Matthew, which is convenient because I started mine first. But anyway, um, (laughs) it's kind of fun. But this is a prayer that is pretty deep. And I thought, I'm going to share it with you instead of a Henry Nouwen devotional. Again, not my prayer, but his. But I think it has a depth to it that could hit us all in a really meaningful way. In the faces of the children of Israel in Gaza, we see your image, God, and it is bloodied and lifeless. In our helplessness and anger at this evil, help us not to grow cynical and hopeless. Help us trust that this bloodshed breaks your heart before it breaks ours. Help us remember that armed aggressions have nothing to do with your desire for us. Come and rescue these little ones and all the people of Israel and Palestine from the futility of war. May violence no longer be heard in these nations, nor devastation within their borders. To these lands you once wandered, and were you still sojourn in the poor, and were and were where you were still sojourn in the poor, send legions of angels to lend aid and protection. Shield those who bring relief amid great danger. Bring your justice for those who are dead. And heal those traumatized by horrific terror and intergenerational conflict. May all those who bring terror be visited by angels and converted to the cause of human flourishing. Amen. Whew. That's sure a different way to pray. But Kenneth Tanner's deep. And uh, I value and really love his insights. So you can look that up again online, rewatch later. But... Time to look at some pause and ponder, and Jesse's right. Um, this is, 
I love the pause and ponder part. Um, it, it's shocking how many thoughts I find. Obviously, I didn't pick the right humor ones today, but these ones hopefully will be good um, because they, they hit me. They just did. The way the week is going and the people I've met with, um, I had uh, a chance to meet with somebody who will be home with the Lord any day now. You know, Usually I do funerals for people who've passed away, but to meet someone ahead of time, whew, that's rare. And so I had to sit with the family and hear and listen and holy smokes. And then I had to take off and do a wedding. So it's like, the emotions are all over the place. This is yesterday. So it's got a lot going on. You know, I don't work just one day a week. Some people keep joking about. (laughs) These things made me stop, pause, and ponder. It's okay to grieve without answers. This was big in light of the conflict. This is also big in light of personal loss of someone you've lost or someone that will be passing away. It's okay to grieve without any answers because the first thing that comes up is why God? How come? Why me? Why this? Why now? Everyone asks those questions. The next one. Shame dies when stories are told in safe places. This one caught me off guard because my whole personal journey of pain in my background and the abuses that have happened, those spoke shame to me and shaped my coping mechanisms in a profound way growing up. Even to this day, it sneaks its way in, but shame is a, a, a vibration that finds its way in to our souls and we can't let it be the voice of truth. And I've also found through therapy and really good conversations in a safe place, shame tends to die because it's spoken and it comes out and it gets dealt with. I always encourage people to go to therapy if you can. Couples, go to therapy. I'm fine. I know you think you're fine. It's usually one that says, no, I'm fine. I don't need to go. Or you may not be ready yet, but... Believe me, this is a big deal. It's personal. This is how you pray continually, not by offering prayer in words, but by joining yourself to God through your whole way of life. So your life becomes a, con- and continu- sorry, becomes a continuous and uninterrupted prayer. I think it was a spelling error. St. Basil the Great. It's very old. Some people wonder how you can pray continually. Pray at all times. I thought, this is, this is good. This is not about the words. This is about a life of prayer. It's pretty cool. N.T. Wright says, Western churches continue to think about going to heaven or going to hell as the framework for the gospel. But the Bible story is not about us going somewhere, but the creator God coming to live with us. We forget that. Christ has come. The incarnation has arrived. The incarnation was killed by humanity. The incarnation rose. We died with Christ. We rose with Christ. Christ in us. Amazing grace doesn't save you from being a wretch, (laughs) but from believing you were ever wretched in the first place. Wretched, fine. 
whatever. <laughs> but this is a big deal. Some of us balk at that song that saved a wretch like me. You know, well, I'm not singing that because I'm, I'm into grace because that's not my identity. Well, there are people that need to still sing that because they still feel they're wretched. Right? It's, it's about how you see yourself in your mind. Brad Jerzak writes, Christ commands us to love our enemies and to overcome evil with good. He calls us to make love our first allegiance, and his love frees us to do so. Freedom in Christ, ironically, is freedom from the tyranny of our own paranoia-producing self-will and fear-driven self-preservation, which we've tragically mislabeled freedom. Whew. That's what the Sermon on the Mount <coughs> is all about. Loving your enemy. What does it look like to have Christ live in you? That's what the Sermon on the Mount is, in short. It's the outward expression of it. Zach Lambert, who I'm really come to like a lot, says, beware of Christians who literalize the words of Revelation about burning suns and seven-headed dragons, but spiritualize the words of Jesus about helping the poor, oppressed, and marginalized. <laughs> Cherry-picking verses. It happens. We've done it. I've done it. I thought that was really good. We can get so caught up in, oh, this says this is going to happen, all that stuff. Like, uh, if I can do a moment rant, because um, I'm allowed to, because I got the microphone. <laughs> but I've talked about this before. There's a lot of fear going on. I've had a lot of emails from people say, what about the end times? What about the rapture? Um, in September, there was a big rapture date. I think September 22nd was this big date, and people are getting ready for the rapture. It's like, wow, that's still going on? People are still buying into that? I bought into it. I came home from school. My parents went home, and I thought the rapture happened. It's like, oh, no. You're like, seriously? Like, I'm sure you, some of you did too. But this fear-based notion should tell you right away, fear-based notion, that it does not come from Christ. There's a reason to study and explore what that term, what is this rapture concept? Where did it come from? Does it apply? Those conversations are really important. So be careful about literalizing that and then not taking literally some of the really obvious things Jesus does tell us to do. Huh. Oh, but I've been a Christian for 30 years, 40 years. I know all that stuff. I'm, I want the deeper stuff now. <laughs> you can't even handle pablum. Anne Lott Lamont writes, I have a lot of faith, but I am also afraid a lot and have no real certainty about anything. I remembered something Father Tom had told me, that the opposite of faith is not doubt, but certainty. Certainty is missing the point entirely. Faith includes noticing the mess, the emptiness, and discomfort, and letting it be there until some light returns. Ooh. If you have a question of why, why am I going through this? Where is God in my darkness? This is for you. It really is. There are no cookie-cutter answers. There are no trite answers. If you're used to giving trite answers or meme responses, 
to something serious, stop. I thought that was really good. Which brings us to, did Jesus really say that? Because there are some pretty tough sayings uh, in this uh, whole book of Matthew, which we're not doing the whole book. We're only looking at the Sermon on the Mount right now. And it's uh, Matthew 5 to 7. So we're going to look at chapter 6 today. But last week, or two weeks ago, we ended with this from the First Nations translation, Matthew 5, verse 47, 48. I love the way this is phrased, all right? Because it's a better way to understand, I think, this text. If you only read it in, in King James or New American Standard or NIV or New Living, this is beautiful. If you welcome only friends, how are you different from others? Even outsiders from other nations do these things. By loving and blessing all people, you'll be walking in the footsteps of your Father from the spirit world above who is perfect in all his ways. Other translations say, be perfect as your heavenly Father is therefore is perfect. So that's a different way to see it. And they're saying the same thing. This is saying the same thing. Being perfect is not about perfection in making sure your art is perfect, your homework is done perfectly, that your, your essay is perfect, that your, the, the drama that you're in is perfect, that the song you're singing is perfect, that everything, it's not talking about that perfection at all. My coffee's perfect, but the whole idea of perfect, this is about maturity instead. Be mature, grow up. Become who you already are. And many people don't know. You don't know that the perfection of Christ is already in you. So trying to become somebody that you already are is hard. It's a spinning cycle. And this is why knowing your identity in Christ is so important. Let's get into chapter 6. This one's going to be fun. Almsgiving. We don't use that word today. <laughs> I'm going to read from the NRSVA version today for this section. That's the same as the NRSV with an A on the end, just in case you didn't know. Because honestly, there's, there's, there are two different versions. <laughs> anyway, that's a different lesson. Concerning almsgiving, beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them. For then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So wherever you give alms... Whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so they may be praised by others. Almsgiving. Well, we're under grace. We don't have to give anymore. We hear that. Huh. No, you don't have to, but you get to, and Christ in you has a desire in you to give. We are always to look out for those who are poor. Not judge them, which we're really good at, by the way. Oh, we're good at that. Almsgiving. It says, when you give, whenever you give, there's an implication here that it's happening. Almost every culture, even every religion, if you want to call it that, has giving in their teaching and thinking of others. So the almsgiving. So that's really important. The key you're going to see here in this first section, and you'll probably see a theme as it goes, this is, is going to be about the appearance. Some of it's going to be embarrassing because I grew up in a church, because it's going to, it's going to talk about prayer at some point. I'm not sure if it, I don't think it's today. But, you know, about babbling on and all that stuff. And uh, I know in the church that I grew up in, um, we had people stand up to pray. And you had a special person who got the privilege of praying. 
And I, it's, it's fine, but man, some people, they just have this long prayer. And we're going, oh my goodness, finish. I was a kid, of course, right? So that's how you think. But I hear some of the adults thought so too. <laughs> but people loved hearing their voice, it seemed. And yet, I know for sure, there's a few people that whenever they were able to stand and pray, there was something that came from them that was like, wow, I know they love God because I see them be kind. I, I see them treat other people. And so when they stood to pray, I heard their prayer. Others, I went, you just talk behind my back about something. Or this. Like I, as a kid, kids hear almost everything. Don't think they don't. They, they hear so much. But this idea of attention, so are you doing your thing to get attention? Then you've received your full reward. This idea of almsgiving. So when you give alms, don't sound a trumpet. Hello, everybody, I'm giving right here. See, ding, ding. Or the Salvation Army container, you know, the ding, ding, ding. But now you have a big loudspeaker. Hi, I'm giving now. Make sure everybody can see. See, now Photoshop, and, and you have your you know, selfie with it and all. And Oh, boy. Ego is a terrible thing. There's much more being taught in the Sermon on the Mount on secrecy than I ever thought. I never saw it until I started reading through this. I never saw it. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That's why you're supposed to keep one hand in your pocket all the time. Sorry. So that your alms may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. <laughs> it's better to give secretly. It really is. It, it, what's embarrassing is to be honest and realize, wow, I, I, I really do want my name on that. You know, I want some attention. I want some gratitude. And yet, I don't know. This is not an easy one. Trust me. I would have loved to have quit this series already. Trust me. <laughs> this is, it's like, do you know how I like to move on quickly? Yeah. I'm at that part. And whenever you pray, oh, it is here. Good. Whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at street corners so that they may be seen by others and heard by others. I wonder, I wonder what that works like in churches, because this is talking about synagogues and street corners. Maybe they gathered in street corners. I've heard street preachers, street corner preachers, can't help but hear them and see them and remember who they are and so on. I am, how much is attention? How much is self-attention? Like, oh, but I'm preaching the word. But are you? You may be speaking words, but preaching the word is loving others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward. And I'm not talking about it's wrong to pray out loud. It doesn't mean I'm going to, when I ask Dan or uh, Russ to come up and pray, it doesn't mean, oh, they want to hear their own voice. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the attitude the internal pattern in our lives, 
Is it for attention, seeking attention, or is it to love others quietly? Be humble in that. But whenever you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. By the way, back up for a moment. Hypocrites. Anybody know the meaning of the word hypocrite? Funny, I'm standing on a drama stage. Starting to get a picture? It's putting on a mask of who you aren't, being fake. That's what hypocrisy is. That's what this means. Oh, that was good. I'll take double pineapple and... So what, somebody's actually calling me too, literally. But I have it on vibrate. <laughs> Whatever you do, oops, end. <laughs> See, you're not alone. That's hilarious. Whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. But whenever you pray, go into your room, shut the door. This does not mean literally going to your closet. This has to do, and this is worth exploring if this interests you. Explore what the secret place means. Explore what private, quiet, internal, where is the presence of God in the quiet place? That's where we pray. We can, there's many places to pray, but if your focus is only pray out loud, and that means you're likely in a really religious circle, um, if that's your only place to pray, then... Jesus is saying, go to your quiet place and go in secret. When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Yeah, I could have quoted that one to a few people growing up. Do not be like them, for the Father knows what you need before you ask them. There's something about the secret place. Praying quietly. There's also an implication here. It's implying we do pray. When you pray. Hmm. Too many people have asked, what is the point of prayer? If God knows everything, he's not a control God, because some people use that phraseology. What's the point? Two things for now. He tells us to whether we understand the point or not. Just because I may or may not be able to explain it well enough is irrelevant. Secondly, I think prayer invites us into intimacy with God. It's for you. It's for your benefit. It's in that time of secret, quiet place that I think God places people on our hearts to pray for. He draws our attention to something. Be careful with your dreams God may be nudging you with something. It might be a freaky, weird one, but somebody's face and name came through. Well, then quietly pray for that person, no matter how weird it is. You might start to see a pattern. Not everybody has those kinds of ideas that happen to them in their dreams, but they're not crazy. The Lord's Prayer. Pray in this way. 
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into the time of trial or temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is a difficult prayer. And go back to the beginning. I have a bunch of versions I'm going to share with you today. Each brings something deep to understand what the Lord's Prayer is. Praying this way. He's teaching them how to pray. And he says, our Father. This is a group activity and a personal one where you recognize God as the Father of our, all. Not just your personal. Like we've had a lot of emphasis of personal Savior. Have you accepted Jesus as your personal Savior? I don't see that in the scriptures. It's nice. It, it, what personal Savior terminology does, it makes personal what's, what people have shoved as distant, that God's just way out there. So it has value. But it's both. Don't dismiss either one. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. This has, it's not an acknowledgement. Yep, you're holy. Got it. It's not not what it's saying. May we see you continually as holy. There's a couple other translations that do a better job. So I might as well jump ahead to some of those because I want you to get a comparison. You need to have the comparison. It's not just one translation. Remember, the Bible's not written in English. You do know that, right? David Bentley Hart probably has a more accurate translation. It's called the David Bentley Hart translation. This is a, probably a better, more accurate one. Our Father who are in the heavens... You see, if we pray our Father in heaven, our definition of heaven now comes into play. Some may wonder, what is heaven? Is heaven a location in our quantum world or in the cosmos that can be found by interplanetary study? Is that where heaven is, some secret place that's hidden from us? No. It's more and better than that. It's here, it's now, it's in you, it's around you. It's the secret place where God is. Perhaps in some of our deepest prayers, we're experiencing heaven in some way. And those that cross over from this life into the continuing real life will experience heaven better than we can even imagine. All we have is English translations and interpretations. That's all we got. I think there's hope. I think there's a more hope filled perspective on what heaven is and where it is and how it's to be understood. Let your name be held holy. May we together keep remembering God is holy, set apart. And I'm not talking about the scary holy, because I grew up with that. God's holy. You better watch it because God's holy. Have you ever had that happen? No? Oh, man, I, I did, yes. It was, a th- it was a club, a, like a threat. God's holy. 
What do you mean? <laughs> it's better than the fear tactic. You let your kingdom come. Let your, come, uh, let your will come to pass in heaven also on earth. The other translation says, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today bread for the day ahead. Wow. What does that mean? That is not the prayer I prayed. Let me suggest to you it's both and. I thought that was an easy one, and then I, I was listening to um, Father Bear on the um, Open Table Conference. Um, this past week he taught on Matthew 6, and I was listening to it a couple times this week. In fact, between that funeral visit and the wedding. And I thought, bread, that's easy. You know, Lord, take care of our stuff. You know, daily food, love it. Yep, that should be simple, right? We've simplified it. But it's more. Daily bread has to do not just with food. It has to do with life, our life, everything we need for life. And if you pray this prayer at night, it's for the next day. If you pray in the morning, for the day today. Depends when you pray. Because the early church, they practiced praying this prayer often. Some prayed it three times a day. Some prayed it on different days of the week. It was blended in. This was a daily thing in the early church. So if you are tired of ritual or balk at rituals, like I can do and tend to do sometimes, I want to find the value of that ritual before I'll start repeating it. I want to understand why. Don't make me do it just to blubber, because I don't want to be one just babbling with many words. I want to be intentional. And excuse us our debts, just as we excused our debtors. The word trespasses, remember that one? Forgive us our trespasses, we forgive those who trespass against us. That's not the right implication or word here. If you go into the Greek, it's there. Trials, all come into this. Debts, the word is dealing with debts. That's why the best expression of this is Jesus' parable of the, the king who had served with many debts and how he took care of debts. You remember that one who was forgiven much went out and attacked a guy for not paying back his little tiny bit that he owed? It's almost like saying, if you're, not, if you're asking for forgiveness but not willing to forgive others, you're not going to experience it. There's some other translations coming that are, It's really going to help pull this together. Because to me, this was a stumbling block in understanding forgiveness, right? Which is a huge topic. And do not bring us into trial, but rescue us from him who is wicked. So this word trial, temptation, trial are the same word. You can translate either way. But trial is probably more likely what's dealing with here because God does not tempt you. So this makes far more sense. And rescue us from him who is wicked. Again, however you perceive your understanding of the evil one or evil, however that works, you can put it all into one pot and it's, it's like, protect me from these things that come my way and hinder my understanding of who you are. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory unto the ages. See, that, that line is not in the original languages. That was added. 
but so were a whole lot of other phrases because this was used in worship. So that line is a summary of, of what was being said at the end of the Lord's Prayer. It has value. It's just a beautiful, worshipful ending of it. That's why the Catholics don't use it. When I do a funeral service, I, and we're going to do the Lord's Prayer, I tell them we're doing the whole thing, especially if it's a Catholic family. So why? It's because there are other people who, who are going to say the whole thing that they know as a Protestant, and somebody's going to feel dumb. <laughs> because one group's going to stop, and a few others are going to continue. So let's do the whole thing. And it's out of love. We go, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. But that's why that section is not there. That's why you see a discrepancy between that. Let's, let's switch to another translation. Oh, I love this. This one's going to blow your mind, and so will the First Nations version. What time is it? Oh, there's a big clock back there. That's right. Um, the Passion Translation comes from an Aramaic translation interpretation, just so you understand why the phraseology is a little bit different, and you'll, you'll like this. This is just another translation. Our Father, dwelling in the heavenly realms, may the glory of your name be the center on which our lives turn. Manifest your kingdom realm and cause your every purpose to be fulfilled on earth just as it is fulfilled in heaven. Give us today the bread of tomorrow. There it is again. That's, that's what I find freaky. I'm seeing it in other translations now that I never saw before. That's not the simplicity of just a loaf of bread which is the core basic human need of food, so to speak. That's, that's how they understood bread. That's why Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. I'm the deepest need of life. Now can you see this, this leap to I'm the bread of life? Give us our daily bread. Wow. What if there's a connection there? <laughs> Forgive us the wrongs we have done as we ourselves release forgiveness to those who have wronged us. Rescue us every time we face tribulation and set us free from evil. For you are the king who rules with power and glory forever. Amen. And when you pray, make sure you forgive the faults of others so that your Father in heaven will also forgive you. But if you withhold forgiveness from others, your Father withholds forgiveness from you. That's still a threat. It's still driving me nuts, right? What do you do with that? Huh. First Nations version. Instead, when you send your voice to the Great Spirit, here is how you should pray. O oh, Great Spirit, our Father from above, we honor your name as sacred and holy. Bring your good road to us where the beauty of your ways in the spirit world above is reflected in the earth below. Wow. Love that. Provide for us day by day the elk, the buffalo, the salmon, all the vegans, close your ears, the corn, the squash, and the wild rice, all the things we need for each day. Each day, there it is again. Release us from the things we have done wrong in the same way we release others for the things done wrong to us. Guide us away from the things that tempt us to stray from your good road. Love that. And set us free from the evil one and his worthless ways. Oy, may it be so, or amen. 
remember our Father from the spirit world above, will release you from your wrongdoings in the same manner you release others from theirs. But if you fail to release others, this keeps your Father, the Creator, from releasing you. That still doesn't answer the question quite well. Let me suggest this. This is what I heard recently. This is a commentary on Father, forgive us. It's a commentary on it. It's, it this is supposed to be our pattern. Remember, Sermon on the Mount is how do we live out this life? In the Aramaic, I, I wish I put the slide up, but it, an, an Aramaic translation of the end of that verse is, is releasing. When we say please forgive is um, unfetter the chains that bind us. Unfetter the chains. Release the chains. Let go of the chains of people that bind you. And here's the part that I caught from the Aramaic that makes the most sense to me right now. If you don't unfetter the chains of those who bind you, here's the, here's the key, God's not going to do it for you. That's different. To me, that is a, that's from the Aramaic, an Aramaic translation. If you're not going to do it, God's not going to do it. He's not going to force you to it. There are consequences to not forgiving. Heavy consequences, physically, mentally, socially. And remember, this is not a series on forgiveness. Oh my goodness, I'm just, this could go the wrong way quick. Forgiveness is for you. When we forgive, let's just, in this context, this is for you personally, between you and your Heavenly Father. All right? There's a lot of layers to this. Because there's a lot of misconceptions of what forgiveness is not that hinders us from forgiving others. But if we can see, hey, this isn't a club at the end of the verse saying, hey, you better or God's not going to, which could imply, wait, then what happens at the end? What if I make it to the other side and it's like, well, I kind of forgot to forgive that guy. Sorry. That does not sound like our Heavenly Father at all. You see, Jesus forgave all of us. We have all been forgiven, past tense. That's a whole sermon. I gotta be careful. <laughs> Let's pray the Lord's Prayer together in the traditional version, the one that we learned in school so there aren't hiccups. But I wanna do this as a group. So I invite you, if you're online, you can mumble it to yourself or say it out loud or just listen with us. But let's pray this together as the Lord taught the disciples. And by the way, there's likely only four disciples in the crowd at that time. You'd only called four by that point. There weren't 12, just in case, because it's really early in the book of Matthew. So, huh, he's teaching all of them. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. My goal in talking through Matthew 6 in the Lord's Prayer is not to mess up what you've been taught, 
but to encourage you to explore a deeper and wider understanding of maybe something that's a hiccup, something you've never explored before. Remember, the Western world's not the only place the gospel's been preached. (laughs) The West does not have the answers. There are many faiths, groups, family members of faith around the world that God has revealed some profound things to that we can learn from and need to learn from. There is a hope-filled perspective on this in case you were wondering. That's why I'm tackling this. I just thought it was really good. I wish I brought that Aramaic one because it was so good. All right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love and grace. I pray that your Holy Spirit does the tugging and tweaking and poking and prodding to make us ask questions. And would you give us some direction? Would you give us peace about things we're wrestling with? And may we be the loving people you've called us to be that we already are. May we live out who we already are. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.